That's right, ladies and gentlemen. It's Badger Radio. Welcome back to Totem. So you may have worked out by now that at the Artful Badger we're addicted to horns. And this new album from the New York Bass Band is no exception. They're not from Manhattan. These guys are from Yorkshire. Been out since last October and goes by the appropriate name of Hardcore Horn. How quickly can you guess what this is a cover of? Awesome wedding band as well, and they do walkabout too. So if you're looking for a, a wedding band, get a hold of the, the New York Brass Band. They're going to be at the Blues Kitchen in Shoreditch on Friday the 16th of June. If you're looking to catch them, and obviously at Glastonbury as usual uh, at Shangri-La and various other uh, wicked stages. Get delicious. With Badger Radio. Hello there, my loony listeners, and thanks for tuning back in to this very special episode of Totem with me, Freddie Drabble. Totem continues to bring you phenomenally intelligent and chic listeners, the best dancing music from across the planet, both old and new. But as you already know, Totem doesn't stop there. We're going to continue looking into a wide range of holistic, 
performance and musical practices and interviewing the innovators. And with the ongoing help of our magical badger totem, we've been getting to the bottom of the mysteries of the human soul and helping our listeners to access the infinite joy and abundance that we believe it is our earth-born right and responsibility to enjoy. And today is no exception, no, no, no. On the contrary, today's area of research is right at the heart of the Badger Project and sends ripples right through our community because of Artful Badger's wish to bridge the gap between the world of liberated partying and the slightly more sustainable world of ecstatic practice and living. It was almost inevitable that shortly after our formation, almost eight years ago now, that I'd be drawn to a theory that perhaps the unhinged parties since the roaring 40s and the swinging 60s full of abandon and throwing all cares to the wind were in fact some kind of self-initiation of the party animals. We were in some way missing a complete rite of passage into mature and grounded adulthood. So today we're going to find out what rites of passage really are and put this theory to the test and find out if there is indeed a connection between party culture in the West and the lack of traditional rites of passage. So I'm extremely excited today um, because we're going to be speaking with four great specialists in various aspects of this this world. Andre Roberts and uh, Adrian Kowal, who are the founders of Way of Nature UK. Uh, We'll be talking to them about how they've adapted indigenous deep nature solos uh, for your average Joe like you and me. Uh, We're going to be speaking to Sean Sullivan again, Uh, she's back on Totem, and she's an anthropologist and white and writer based at Bath Spa University, and she'll be giving us the historical and indigenous perspective so we can get a sense of where we are with these traditions before we moved into the age of reason. And then last of all, we're going to be speaking to the one giant leap cameraman and director, uh, also director of the new film uh, Talking Addiction, Ben Cole. Uh, We'll be talking to him about a fascinating range of innovative rites of passage techniques that he uses with his various groups helping adults, uh, sorry, addicts, young offenders and the generally uninitiated (laughs) average people uh, like most of us. And we'll be trying to make some sense out of uh, how these practices might fit in uh, with, with our practices. So... Today, Totem is asking two very simple questions. What are rites of passage? And is it necessary for us to reintroduce them into Western culture? So sit back, let the new music wash over you, and hopefully by the end of this show, your curiosity about this will be satisfied, uh, as I'm hoping mine will be. So here's a track from an artist who uh, is dear to the Badger's heart and pretty much needs no introduction. We've been working together for so long. Uh, This is from the Mojo Filters new uh, Modern Reloves uh, remix album. This is volume two. Uh, It came out on the 27th of February and is as eclectic as ever, including reworks from Devendra Benhart, Jose Gonzalez, and this one from the Crystal Fighters. So here it is. This is LA Calling. This is the Mojo Filter Liquid Sun remix of LA Calling for the Crystal Fighters. LA 
remixes from the Mojo Filter. Get onto his SoundCloud or his Bandcamp to check it out. He really is getting a, a very strong worldwide reputation for his remixes now. Um, really looking forward to sharing the stage with Ben at Secret Garden Party this year with the um, in the Lost Woods, uh, where I'll be doing some some rise and shine for those guys, um, warming you guys up in the morning with some big beats. So if you're at Secret Garden, come down and check us out. Music from the underground, only on Badger Radio. So what exactly is a rite of passage? Soon we'll be speaking to the real specialists, um, but by means of an introduction, I'll give it a shot. So rites of passage are any rituals that mark a person's transition from one stage of their life to another. And I guess the most famous and, and perhaps most meaningful example of this is the transition from childhood into puberty and thus into fertility and the adult responsibilities that come with that. Most of these traditions take the youth out of their comfort zone and their community and put them through some kind of ordeal that helps them realize their individual strength and their role uh, in life, but also their vulnerability and therefore their reliance on their community. Vision quests, which we'll be talking about in a bit, uh, often feature in these transitional rites of passages. So, uh, these sorry, rites of passage. Um, deprived of food and water, uh, words and distractions, uh, buried subconscious insights, kind of, they're allowed to rise into your awareness in this time of solitude and they hint to the role in the community and the challenges uh, that that person might overcome, might have to overcome. And the mentors of their community, that's not their parents obviously, that is mentors of their community, will teach them to interpret these hints and, and these messages. So these mentors, or elders as they're often called, pass on the knowledge of their experience and of their own mentors uh, from the past, and they represent the continuity of the tribe and thousands and thousands of years of accumulated knowledge and, and, and also, in a way, the honouring of those ancestors. If that continuity is lost, as we're going to hear uh, in a while, uh, there may be a gap. Uh, and we're left with a lost generation, unable to mentor their own youth as, as they grew up, uh, as they grow up. So soon we're going to be speaking to the specialists who really, really know about this, both about Western reinventions of these practices, uh, trying to call out to lost generations and gather them back into the fold so they can then mentor their own communities as they get older. And... Um, a specialist in indigenous approaches to these matters. Uh, we're going to be asking them if there's ever been an interruption on the rites of passage offered in Western culture. Uh, have youths been inventing their own versions of rites of passage uh, without elders? Uh, is rave culture and stimulant use some attempt to self-initiate? And is that completely negative or are there also positive aspects to that? Is there indeed a lost generation at all? Are, or are they in fact more mature and ready for 21st century living than indigenous people dealing with, you know, encroaching globalization? I for one cannot wait to hear what they're going to be telling us. Like I said, it's been years I've been wanting to speak to some specialists about this. So I'm really excited about this show. 
So without further ado, um, let's have some more music and the Badger news, and then we can get our teeth straight into this juicy subject of rites of passage. Now it is time for the Badger news. It's been yet another fantastic year. Uh, for us at the Artful Badger uh, with lots of news and lots of new projects evolving. We really are very, very lucky, Brocks. Uh, so to kick off, the Wild Workshops London programme uh, started in October at the beautiful Evolve Wellness Centre in West London, which belongs to uh, to Adrian Corwell, who we'll be speaking to in a little while. And it's now drawing to a close, having engaged a totally new crowd of yoga-loving uh, West Londoners, as intended, many of whom had never come across any of these techniques for letting go and finding their true selves. So you can find out all about it on our website, artfulbadger.org, or on the Wild Workshops UK Facebook page, that's Wild Workshops UK, if you give that a like so you can keep an eye on what we're up to. Please help us share these techniques with your friends so this great work can go as mainstream as possible. So if you're curious which field to find us in this summer, uh, we're going to be doing the festival rounds as usual. Uh, we're going to be doing the wild workshops at Wilderness Festival uh, and a special new multi-facilitator dance journey off-site in the Virgin Woodland, just us, the ancient trees and pumping tribal music. Badger Radio will also be at the very last secret garden party speaking to some of the creatives who've been offering free spaces there for donkey's years like us. It's going to be an emotional uh, event as it's the last one, but one last dance is definitely required and it may just last the full four days. So uh, we're also going to be putting out uh, a show from the Wilderness Festival and from the Mandrea Festival in Northern Italy. So keep an eye out on our mix cloud if you want to be vicariously present uh, at any of these festivals and for, for some reason you can't make it. Talking of Northern Italy, uh, we're back on the European Trail this summer, uh, offering dance meditation and flocking workshops at the Mandrea Festival uh, in Northern Italy, which is August the 16th to August 20th and takes place in the Alps, uh, a stone's throw away from the beach of Lake Garda. Our company of animals will also uh, be present and they're doing a new aerials piece there as well as some workshops. Great lineups, a top 10 European festival rating, and awesome mountain location to explore. So, well worth traveling uh, to this one if you'd like to, to join us. It's very international. Equally exciting is the Zoo Festival, also in northern Italy, where we'll be doing a brand new wall dancing show. Again, a very long term dream for us to, to do a, a fully uh, wall danced show, uh, and that'll be their main spectacle on the side of the castle. And this castle used to be a zoo, hence the name. So they were very chuffed when they found uh, Arthur Badger's company of animals. Also, we've got some great news that our Badger Party director, Aoife van Lindentol, has received a residency as uh, a contemporary artist at the European Space Agency for her totally uni unique contemporary art installations, which appropriately deal with uh, explosives and explosions. So congratulations, Eve. Keep an eye on our Facebook pages at the end of August for video documentation of that. In other news uh, of our collaborators, Wild Workshop's Bioenergetics facilitator, 
Rob Wilson is programming a three-day conscious event, the Pura Vida Beltane Blaster, the weekend of the 6th of May, so next weekend, with DJs and workshops including trance, dance, massage and gong bars, offering participants to really let their hair down in a booze-free and totally liberated space. And that's at the Osho Leela Personal Development Centre in Dorset. Bobby's put together an amazing lineup, so do check that one up. So for links and details of all these events and all the albums, documents, films, uh, references from the show, please read the comments uh, section on the Mixcloud page because uh, I don't have room for all of that information um, in the main profile. And also to be kept informed about our ever-expanding offerings of music, workshops, performances and celebrations, uh, join our mailing list at theartforbadger.org and follow us on Twitter and Facebook. That was the Badron News. Faves the egg called The Sound of the Comet, um, and this is a collaboration with Ashley Cassell, Guy Ford, and Ollie Langford. Uh, this is brand new. Get onto your, to their band camp, the eggs band camp, if you want to get a copy of this. So it's time for the first of our very special interviews today. Now, there really is no better organization to look to to understand contemporary rites of passage uh, than The Way of Nature, which organizes retreats and experiences in nature all over the world to help people reconnect, rebalance, and recharge. They're all about bringing the magic of nature back into our everyday life, and today we're going to be speaking to the co-founders, Adrian Kowal and Andres Roberts. 
born in Boston, USA, with Ukrainian heritage. Adrian is an entrepreneur, uh, nature quest guide, and venturer. He's the co-founder of the Evolve Wellness Center in South Ken, where we're currently presenting uh, Artful Badger's first wild workshops program uh, in London. He started as a financial analyst for fund management firms and then went on to use that insight to consult for children's charities and ethical startups. He then set up a film production company and then went on to establish Evolve and eventually The Way of Nature UK. Andres, on the other hand, is a facilitator, mentor, and nature quest guide, helping to reconnect people uh, and nature. He studied with amazing teachers and elders from all around the world and brings this knowledge back to help people uh, in the West from many walks of life. He's a co-founder of Way of Nature and the founder of BioLeadership Project, uh, an initiative to help people grow and adapt in better ways by working more closely with nature. So guys, thank you so much for taking the time out to help us understand this fascinating and often misunderstood topic of rites of passage. How are you both? Great. Thanks so much for having us on, Freddie. Very well, yeah. Thanks thanks so much, Freddie. Looking forward to this conversation. Well, it's a pleasure to have you guys. And uh, once again, I really appreciate it. Adrian, let's kick off um, relatively generally. Do actual rites of passage still exist in first world cultures? It's the kind of thing we might associate with indigenous tribes. So what have we replaced it with? It's interesting, this question. I replaced it in my own life with um, the Rafe culture, actually. Um, and, you know, dabbling in all sorts of uh, medical and non-medical, I guess you could call them drugs or experiences from dance parties to, um, you know, very immersive festivals. Um, but I think there's there's something beyond that. I think surviving school in some sense um, was a rite of passage for me. Um, formally, there hasn't really been a continuation of, of this more traditional rite of passage or vision quest inspired experience um, that came from these indigenous cultures. As we've become more civilized, um, I guess there hasn't been space for young men and women to grow, go through such a process. Um, it feels like one of the most in, important aspects that we've lost also is this sense of mentorship um, and understanding that nature is really one of the most excellent teachers around. Hmm. Uh, when I'm thinking about what's replaced it, um, I look to things like the men's work movement, um, I guess summer camps in some ways, uh, even tough mutters and these really challenging kind of weekend or even Sunday long uh, events where you throw yourself over barbed wire and, and you know there's some physical, strong physical aspect of the of what you're not really used to um, and and it is in nature, it replaces it but I think what these types of things lack is this sense of solitude and spending time on your own in nature I've seen time and time and time again is very potent medicine because what it means for people is that falling away of human culture and human distractions and technology so that you just arrive in stillness and slow down and that's that's one of the things I think is really special about what we do. Yeah, and that brings me on to um, to Way of Nature. Andres, between you both, you run the Way of Nature UK. 
what different types mm -hmm. of retreats are you offering and what are the benefits you've seen from, from your participants? Um, well, at the heart of every program is, is, um, is this space to go out into the wild alone um, prepared with uh, tools or ideas that are about stillness actually. I think one of the main things that we do is help people find space and, um, and life is so busy and speedy and attached to doing more that uh, a central part of a way of nature program is about making space for yourself and mm. uh, making space to listen to uh, yourself and making space to listen to, to what nature is all about and um, it's pretty extraordinary actually how, how um, so few people have made time to, to slow down enough to actually notice what they're noticing <laughs> and, and I think a lot of that comes from respectfully looking to other traditions you know people have gone out into nature to be alone throughout time throughout humanity and we know that many cultures from eastern cultures to celtic cultures i was recently in iceland speaking to one of our partners there and he said wow you know many of the deep lessons that um icelandic people drew came from people going out into the wild and hiding underneath some rocks and cover the, covering themselves with hide the expression going under the hide still exists in Iceland and bringing that wisdom home. Um, and that's what we do. That's what Way of Nature UK does. We, we, make, we make opportunities for people to go out into the wilderness alone, to be still and to bring the lessons from nature back home. What benefits have your participants sort of reported? You know, let me give us a, maybe a couple of examples. No, for sure. Well, the first one I think is relaxation. Um, uh, it's it's such a simple word. It's I, it's so so difficult to grasp. But so, so many people come back from their solos. What we call for a shorthand, we call it a solo, and um, and saying, "Wow, I've actually I've actually found the opportunity to let go." Um, we grasp so much and we try so much in so many ways, and uh, relaxation is not something that we can try or endeavour towards. It's something that just happens. And you see it in people's faces, you know, when we come back and we, we, we collect somebody from a solo, you can see in their face that they've changed, somehow re relaxed and released. Um, I think something we often see is a change in perspective on identity. It's, it's quite a big thing to say in a, in a short interview, but we very often will see people who say, whoa, I've, re I've realized here that I'm part of something so much bigger and it's so useful in seeing how small our problems or our challenges might be. Um, so a traditional vision quest, of course, as the name suggests, is about that sense of vision, which I think is aligned with perspective. Mm, we'll um, have a good chat about vision questing um, after the break. So guys, don't go away. We're going to take a short break for a bit of music and we're going to be back with Andres and with Adrian in just a minute. So this is the new single from Afrobeat, Jazz, Soul, Reggae, Pioneers and Badger Faves' Nubian Twist, featuring the legendary 80s dancehall vocalist Supercat. It came out on the 7th of April and is a rework of the classic 1982 dancehall track Dance in a New York from lead vocalist Nubian Brandon. So this is the Renegades of Jazz remix of Dance in a Love. Sometimes see what the 
Andres and Adrian from um, from the Way of Nature UK. John Milton, uh, your founding mentor and the founder of Way of Nature USA, was one of the founders of the ecological movement in the 1950s and an advisor to Nixon's government on economic affairs. And he pioneered the first vision quests in the 1940s, designed for Western people, which eventually led to the creation of the Way of Nature. Um, Andres, what exactly is a vision quest? And in your opinion, what are its objectives? Yeah, sure. Well, a vision quest, the term comes from going into the wilderness and making space to um, to find a different form of vision, really. Um, we know that different traditions, different people and cultures throughout time have worked with vision quests. Um, this idea of going out, leaving society, making a, a small circle in the wilderness in, in vision quests that I've practiced that come from, from Native American tradition. You make an eight-foot circle, you step into that eight-foot circle uh, naked, uh, without food. You try not to sleep, um, and in some lineages you, you would take no water, and you'd be there for four days. Um, again, to notice, to, to be, to let go of trying and moving and and um, coming as close as possible and being as raw and naked as possible with 
what it is to be alive and, and part of life. Um, it's very, very profound. It's um, it's very challenging in ways that are different to how we challenge ourselves in, in, in day-to-day life. Mm. Um, and it's a very beautiful process. Now, now, again, as the name suggests, vision comes from, in some traditions, it would be about blurring that dream consciousness with mind consciousness by staying awake, or in other traditions, through other means. You... Um, you allow what is in your subconscious, in your heart or in your will to come up so that your mind can see it. Um, and and through that, uh, you, you derive that sense of deeper purpose or, or knowledge or wisdom. John obviously originally adapted this from the indigenous American Indians' vision quests. In what way would you say it differs, both in its in its style, but also in its objectives. I mean, like, what, in what ways are the objectives different for, 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 let's take, for example, urban Westerners? Well, the the aims, the objectives, in a way, are similar. They're about drawing a deeper form of knowing and wisdom from nature in order to bring back to our society. Um, and in a traditional vision quest. The vision quest isn't just about the individual experience, it's about coming back home and um, relating the knowledge and the stories and the insights that you've gathered in order to help your society. So, so the way of nature process still borrows from ideas and methods that come from some of these ancient cultures. What we try to do is do it in a way that feels more accessible to everyday life. So we make a little bit more of slowing down and opening the senses because we haven't used them for so long. I think it's this combination of um, bringing in tools and methods from ancient cultures with stillness and, and wisdom that, that seems to really help today. Mm. Adrian, um, you know, we're talking here about the way these types of vision quests might affect Westerners. I mean, obviously, we live in a very materialistic culture these days. Why exactly do you, at Way of Nature, think it's so important for us to start using these practices again? And, and what are the risks if we don't? For me, one of the most important things is just taking a pause from your everyday life uh, and spending time alone in a really remarkable and often very beautiful wild place. Now, that piece around being alone and the solitude I think is very important because especially with today's modern technology and gadgets it feels like at least from my experience it's hard to truly be alone and not distracted not reading something or watching a film or documentary or you know always doing something and and having inputs pop up on your screens or you know people to speak to and I think once we're alone for a longer period even 12 or 24 hours Mm. um, very interesting stuff starts to percolate all many thoughts I've experienced that have laid kind of beneath the surface unprocessed or experiences begin to re-emerge and I've found a very creative outcome to be kind of a shift in my perspective and lens of seeing the world tends to happen, even an adjustment to thinking about my purpose and and, and my way in the world and my role in the world. And John talks about this, doesn't he? John talks about the creativity and he talks about the need to find one's role, what one has to offer to one's community, as Andres mentioned as well. And what are the risks if we don't do this? 
Well, I think it's business as usual. You know, a lot of very influential decision makers and politicians, I feel uh, in the Western world are largely immature in terms of how they're communicating and how they're thinking about decisions from a quite a self-interested point of view. Um, they don't see the world as connected. So, you know, the, the risks are um, very significant in terms of the planet, um, how we continue to take out way more than we give back. And, you know, it's a real, it, we're leaving the world in a much worse place uh, for our children than, than how we've received it. In terms of the individual risk, I think, you know, you look at some of the research that's coming out in terms of mental health, um, d numbers of depression and suicide, and you see that even addiction, though we're much- Addiction. Yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah, addictions, all that, all, all this kind of thing. It's, it, it's really going Uh, not in a those those online. One of the reasons is the lack of nature connection. So I think it's really important work, and it's also very joyful work. It's it, you know people come away with a brilliant smile and and absolutely crystal clear eyes, and it it you you can really see that in people's faces. <laughs> Fantastic. Guys, I'm going to just uh, add a, a last question that I'm going to be asking everybody today because uh, this Rites of Passage theme is really one of the central themes uh, of Artful Badger since it began, and particularly of our Wild Workshops program. Namely, I want to ask if there is a connection, in your opinion, between the rise of, of party culture and alcohol and drug abuse and the lack of a rite of passage practice in mainstream Western culture. Do you think there's a connection, Andres? Well, well my, what comes up for me when you say that is that we are all seeking meaning and mm. purpose and we're all trying to connect with what it is to be our sort of whole selves. And what I do firmly believe, and I've studied it in many different contemporary society, the way that we've organised uh, businesses, structures, schools and so on, mm. constrains us from feeling whole. Um, so whether it's uh, dancing away on a field somewhere <laughs> or reconnecting with nature in the way that we do, there is something about a quest for wholeness. Um, and then how we do that mindfully and how we do it in a way that really genuinely supports us is, is the question that comes up for me then. Absolutely. Yeah. AIDS, have you got anything to add to that? You mentioned well, earlier you used to be a, a passionate raver. Were you self-initiating? <laughs> Uh, you know, I still am a raver uh, these days, but it, it takes a different form. I'm organizing in the community where we live these conscious kind of dance parties once a month on a Sunday. I've got to come, um, and, I've got to come and, and do one for you as well. It would be lovely. Uh, we'd love to have you, Freddie. But um, I think a lot, of, uh, a lot of what people are seeking is a sense of belonging, belonging to a tribe. Uh, again, uh, in a modern world I've experienced, even with all these ways of connecting, um, actually alienates you more and more from real life experiences. And, you know, you could be living on a street for 20 years, but everybody on that street is a stranger to you. So it's belonging, it's a sense of connection to one another. And people are also, you know, young people, they're looking for, for different viewpoints and different prisms 
through to which to see the world. And that's why I'm not surprised that people are looking, you know, for really inspiring, passionate, uplifting music and also dabbling in, in drugs and so forth. Absolutely. So, guys, thank you so much for your insight into this topic. I'm sure this is going to give the listeners... Um, a bit of an idea of how modern Western people are dealing with it, with this lack. And please do go on to the Way of Nature UK website and check it out, guys. There's all kinds of stuff. What's what's your most recent innovation, Andres? What what, what what's Way of Nature offering that, that that they've never offered before? Well, I'm I'm really excited about a collaboration with the Dark Mountain Project, the folks who um, create books and art that's all about the shadow side of the world and, and the toughness of the situation we're in. But it's so beautiful to do what we do in collaboration with someone like that, where we've been, we make space for people to be honest and real and get into the crunchiness of life and come out the other side feeling so much better. So, so working in partnership with other people and trusting the nature quest, the sort of vision quest process is, is yeah, really you wrote, good. You wrote a fantastic uh, article for Positive News on uh, on that project, didn't you? I'll make sure that that gets shared. Guys, do check the uh, the notes for this for this show and you'll be able to read Andres' writings about that. Okay, guys. Well, thank you so, so much for joining us on Totem and uh, really, really excited about the innovation of Way of Nature. And I really cannot recommend enough to our listeners to, to get on one of these retreats and get off deep into nature and rediscover yourself, your naked true self, uh, you know, without all of this adornment we seem to, to add to ourselves to try and create our identities. Adrian, Andres, thank you very much. See you soon. Thanks, Freddie. Thanks, Freddie. Music from the underground. Only on Badger Radio. Fascinating stuff from the way of nature there. Love those guys. So straight on to the Turbans' debut album, long awaited by their fans. It was produced by Jerry Boys, who produced the Bonavista Social Club and Annie Farca Torre. Check this out.
unique um, while sticking to the traditional sound. Brilliant as always from the turbans and pretty psychedelic too. Uh, they're going to be playing at the Wilderness Festival where we'll be catching, where Badger Radio will be catching up with them in the first weekend of August. And they're also at Juju's Bar in London uh, on the 19th of May if you want to catch them in London. So it's time to speak to our next very special guest. We are extremely lucky today to have Sean Sullivan back on Totem. Uh, Sean, as you may remember from our dance meditation special, is an anthropologist who works as professor of environment and culture at Bath Spa University. She's conducted ethnographic field work on people-landscape relationships with uh, the Damara people in northwest Namibia has experienced healing dances there with the um, with the San people, in the Kalahari particularly, as well as healing ceremonies with shamans in South America and Ecuador. Um, she's now leading a really interesting research project in West Namibia called Future Pasts, which you can look at uh, at www.futurepasts.net, uh, which is a research into the different cultural approaches to sustainability. Sean, welcome to Totem and thank you so much for coming back. Thank you for inviting me back, Freddie. It's a pleasure. So today um, we're talking about rites of passage. And for those of us unfamiliar with the phrase, and to give us a bit of a historical backdrop uh, on today's debate, from the point of view of indigenous cultures, how would you describe the general features of a rite of passage? And, and what are the purposes? So I think um, a rite of passage... Um, takes place in many cultures around the world and it's simply um, something that um, people participate in to mark the transition that a person makes from one kind of socially recognized state um, to another socially mm. recognized state of being. Mm. So um, very key um, moments in a person's life might be um, when boys are entering into uh, manhood, so the moment of puberty. Um, in many cultures around the world, um, we see uh, age set um, rituals where a cohort of uh, young um, boys, normally around uh, sort of 11 years old and early teens, are uh, essentially taken out of their um, normal everyday community context um, and they're tutored in the knowledge and the law um, that they need to know um, in order to transition into being um, a man. It's often asso associated with circumcision and various ordeals that uh, boys have to go through in this time. So they, they become, they're taken outside of society in order to then re-emerge um, into society in their new recognized state um, as um, young adult men, which of course carries with with it all sorts of different responsibilities and roles um, but uh, so often in the West we associate um, rites of passage 
with this moment in um, people's lives, but yeah. uh, they can be relevant at many, many different um, transitional stages in someone's lives. So actually I had an experience recently in Namibia um, where uh, I'm, I'm quite entangled with um, a family in West Namibia and I normally stay there when I, when I go and do uh, field research. Mm. And this time, there was something different that happened, which was that I noticed that uh, outside my hut every evening a small fire would be made, hmm. and uh, this was this was unusual. This was different. In the past, um, we might just have lit a fire there for cooking. So I asked about this, and uh, the reason was was because now I'm now recognised as having. Um, gone through a transition to becoming the elder in my family because my father died just a few months ago. And uh, this means that I'm now the person in my family who, um, they call it, has the fire. The tais is the word for fire. Interesting. So the fire moves through a family, normally through the, the uh, males in a family. So it would go from the elder brother to the next brother to the next brother and then when, and then to the, uh, the the first son of those brothers, um, and then it would go to um, a woman if there are no if there are no boys. And um, Sean, about yeah. the purposes, why is it important to mark these transitions? So, so a person is an individual, but they are also living within. We're all also living within community. Okay, so we're both um, ourselves um, and we're also social beings. Um, so these transitions are a way of recognizing our the, the kind of socially um, different roles that we have at different stages of our lives. Um, so I think that's the, the, the key purpose. And with those, uh, as those transitions are recognized, it means that we are recognized in ourselves um, for the role that we have within our society and the contributions that we can make and also the responsibilities that that gives us. Okay, so we can safely assume um, that there, there was a plethora of rites of passage in pre-Christian Europe as well. Um, but what did Christian culture replace them with? Um, well, I think Christian, uh, the Christian tradition in all its many um, manifestations has rites of passage at its heart um, in very in a in a whole range of different ways. In fact, so um, the process of baptism um, is very definitely a rite of passage, where um, a person who has been baptized is then recognised um, as having been. I don't know, welcomed into whichever Christian tradition um, they're in. Um, but also, uh, if we look at um, the uh, lives of, of the life of Jesus, um, one of the key moments in his life was what we could see as um, a vision quest, where he goes into the desert for, is it 40 days and 40 nights, and uh, is tempted by all sorts of um, things, um, goes through an, a, a period of ordeal, is on his own, fighting with his demons or, or coming to terms with his demons. Uh, so there's, you know, a vision quest and uh, a transition right there at the, the, the heart of the experience of Jesus. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, thank you, Sean. We're going to take a short break for a piece of music now. 
And um, we'll be right back with Sean in just a minute, so please don't go away. <laughs> This is the title track for the Undercover Hippies new album of the same name out on May the 20th. His lyrics here are so topical, it's like he's predicted the snap UK general election just called by Theresa May for June the 8th. They're touring UK all through May, but they're at the borderline uh, in London on May the 19th. This is Undercover Hippie, Truth and Fiction. CDs, MPs on the TV, talking on repeat like a scratched up CD. So many lies that they face up CD. So much to hide that they can't talk freely. Seems now we just simply allow that every single word that comes out of their mouths is put politely. A load of cobblers gonna house the homeless, employ the jobless. Man, you're gonna be a total idiot to buy any of that shit. Even considerate, so considerate. Leave us a little bit, throw a few scraps, then call that benefit. What? I'm just saying that you can't lie, get caught, then make out. You're a nice guy, but the cost of just living's got so high, people can't even get by. And we try. But it's still not enough Rent just doubled and I got laid off Caught in a struggle just to pay the debts of while I make the best of juggling two jobs So why do we act like it's such a surprise Every time we discover new lies We just sigh and then scroll on by Saying I don't know what to believe no more When the truth becomes the fiction And the fiction is old When the politicians play their games of war We're busy watching shadows on the wall Giving up, looking up to leaders, man, they can't even feed us, let alone lead us. Nurses eating out of food banks, but they excuse banks and let the market bleed us. Do you really want to feed these leeches? Do you really want to hear these speeches? Go scare some daily mail readers, I'm throwing them a lot with the basket weavers. Cause you lot are basket cases, having debates over who's less racist. It's like we're living in the end of ages and I still can't tell whose mask is fakest. But that's how they keep you focused, get your attention then you don't notice. The power never rests in the hands of the voters, nah, that's hocus pocus. Now I'm not saying voting's hopeless, I'm just saying that your vote gets wasted When you let yourself get sucked in by the media telling you where you can't place it Cause let's face it, it's just basic human emotion mate, you can't fake it So if you ever get a chance to vote for someone taking a stance, you better damn well take it And the fiction is oh, When the politicians play their games of war We're busy watching shadows on the wall I don't know what to believe no more When the truth becomes the fiction And the fiction is oh, When the politicians play their games of war We're busy watching shadows on the wall Okay, welcome back, guys. We're still with Sean Sullivan talking about indigenous rites of passage. Um, Sean, stereotypically, we tend to associate indigenous rites of passage with men. Um, you know, you mentioned earlier about the coming of puberty, the need to become sort of adult men operational in the in the society. But I've also read that in many cultures, they exist for women too. In what way do their practices vary from those of men, and are the objectives any different? So um, I think the objectives of this are the same, which is uh, marking the transition from one kind of socially significant state to another. Um, and for women, um, um, especially in Khoisan societies, um, the societies that I'm most familiar with, 
the, a very key moment is um, the onset of, of menarche, of menstruation. So um, in these contexts, traditionally, we can say um, a girl, as she had her first period, is considered to be very, um, she's in a very, very potent state. And uh, there are certain um, practices and behaviors that then need to be observed while she's in this very potent state. She's becoming um, fertile, which means she's becoming able to um, generate the next um, generation of, of uh, the society. And um, so for a, a girl that's going through this experience, she would be um, secluded from the community um, in with Damra people um, that I'm familiar with, they would have been put into um, a, a hut, a menstrual hut. Um, they they stay in the hut. There are certain sort of food taboos, so foods that they're not supposed to eat during this time. So they're secluded in the darkness of this hut. They're in a very very potent state, and uh, they there will be elder women who are with them who will teach them about um, what it means to become a woman in that society. And one of the things um, in, for Damra, one of the things that the, the young girl learns is how to make um, a perfume called Sai, um, which is uh, collected from lots of, a whole variety of different plants. And uh, it's then the, the plants are then pounded into a very, very fine powder. And this sai um, is very, very beautifully smelling. And a woman will, will wear the sai, but it's also very potent. Um, so throughout her life, um, if, uh, if uh, she's with um, a man who traditionally would have been a hunter, of course, there are many pro prohibitions now from the state against hunting. But a man who uh, needs to go and hunt would not, would would basically not uh, be close with his his partner, his wife before hunting because of the potency of this sai, uh, which is associated with her fertility, yeah. so with the life giving force, and he needs to um, be able to go out and and uh, basically make an animal bleed. Um, so he needs to have that power in order to bring back meat to his community. Quickly, Sean, do they do they also mark um, menopause as well? Not in the same way as far as I know, but as I was mentioning earlier, there are there is also, you know, there are different sorts of recognition um, around becoming an elder in your community and in your family. Yeah. Having the fire, as I said earlier. Yeah. And I, I want to actually add that, so a rite of passage that's ritualized and uh, socially significant and symbolic and so on, it doesn't have to be a big event, you know, with uh, that's highly intense and where there's, there's sort of lots of drama and intensity around it. It can be something very, very simple, like, mm -hmm. as I mentioned, having the fire lit outside my hut and then realizing that that was about marking a transition that I had gone through. Mm. Um, so it can be very simple, very gentle, but still very potent because um, it helps a person internalize the uh, experience of going through um, a transition from one stage of their life to another. 
And then we have this, so we have this this twofold aspect: one in which it helps the individual acknowledge their transition, but also in which the community can also make the adjustments necessary for that for that change as well. That's right. Yes. Yes. Okay, Sean. We've spoken specifically to you before on Totem about the similarities and of, of also, as we found in that interview, uh, the differences of mental states between the indigenous trance dancers and the Western rave dancers, which you did some research on quite early in your career. But we didn't in that discussion touch on rites of passage. So I wanted to ask you, um, as I'm asking everyone today, because it's really one of the central themes uh, of, of Artful Badger's Wild Workshop program that I really want to speak to some specialists about. Is there a connection between the rise of party culture in you know, what I'll call post-Christian culture, but as you say, it's obviously had its own rebirth in a way, but let's say, say a sort of age of reason culture, um, and the lack of rites of passage practices in, in mainstream Western culture, as if, you know, in some way the, 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 the rave dancers, the party dancers had been self-initiating without elders. Do you think there's a connection? Yes, I do think that there's a connection. And I, I, I'm glad that you mentioned the age of reason, because I think one of the, the key uh, aspects of the age of reason over the last few hundred years has been a kind of progressive and systematic uh, desacralization of um, our experience of being here. Um, another term for that would be a disenchantment yeah. um, of the world. So um, I think people have a kind of um, intrinsic, shall we say, yearning for meaning and a yearning to feel uh, part of um, contexts that are, that, are, that are bigger than themselves. Okay, so I think that uh, uh, rave contexts and also um, the consumption of, you know, psychoactive substances can begin with this um, yearning for um, meaning, um, for connection, for community, um, for experiences of the self that are ecstatic. Um, uh, I know that you're interested in the connection between uh, these contexts and drug taking and addiction and I think that is um, a very very important shadow side and I was mentioning to you earlier and you asked me to, to uh, bring this uh, text into, into the interview there was a book written some years ago by a psychotherapist called Luigi Zoja or Zoha Z-O-J-A it's called Drugs, Addiction and Initiation hmm. The Mod Search for Ritual so it seems to just in the title pretty much um, talk to the uh, issues that you're concerned with yeah, and I'll make some sure, of your readers I'll might make, find that interesting as well I'll make sure that that book gets onto the, um, the, the comments and the links below the show do, do look that up Sean I cannot thank you enough for this fascinating and, and really really unique perspective that you have to offer us uh, with your with your wide experience in both sort of Western uh, ritualized experience as well as obviously the indigenous version. So it's a, it's a fascinating insight and helps us very much bridge the two worlds. Do please, listeners, get on to futurepasts.net and look into Sean's uh, fascinating research about sustainability. Sean, thank you once again. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, you Freddie, thanks. All the best, Sean. Speak soon. Bye. 
Extraordinary insights from Michelle Sullivan there. Always such a pleasure to speak to her on Totem. Um, but next up, we've got a new single from Afriqua. Just released last Friday, the 21st of April, uh, in time for Record Store Day, a special day for DJs. Uh, so they're releasing this as a limited edition orange vinyl, if you're, uh, if you're that way inclined, DJs. So this is the Cruel and Pharaoh remix of Can I Know You. to speak to the next of our very special guests today, uh, Ben Cole. Now Ben's an award-winning filmmaker who grew up in London's punk and rave culture and he spent much of his adult life witnessing initiations uh, from diverse cultures, from the Kalahari Bushmen of the Namibian desert to the Pygmies of the Congo with Bruce Parry to the rave cultures of Berlin and London. So Ben, welcome to Totem. Thank you so much for being with us. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Just got back from Namibia, uh, full of mosquito bites everywhere, and <laughs> the skin's falling off my Occupational arms. Occupational hazard, isn't it? <laughs> it is, yeah. So since his first film, One Giant Leap, I'm sure you've all heard of, uh, was nominated for two Grammys, he's been making documentaries on many of the modern and indigenous cultures initiating their communities towards becoming centred and awake human beings. He also runs workshops with his wife Caroline Carey to initiate those, um, to initiate people through ceremony and through dance. His films have included music celebrities from Robbie Williams to Sai Baba, uh, from Bruce Binkstein to Dalai Lama. Uh, his new project is Talking Addiction, which we'll be talking a lot, uh, a lot about today. 
Uh, and it finds the positive wisdom uh, that recovering addicts can teach us through their struggles. Please do read all about that at talkingaddiction.co.uk. It's a very different approach that Ben and his wife are taking with this film. We've already talked a little bit today about a few of the risks um, if we don't re-engage with some kind of rite of passage practice. In your opinion, what are the risks to individuals and society as a whole without these rites of passage? Well, first of all, I think there are huge risks. Um, for me, uh, I just want to define what a rite of passage is, really, because it's a bit of a weird statement, I think. It sounds like uh, a sort of visa to go through into a country. And I think that that is. It's a sort of an event that uh, makes well, one conscious of going on a journey and being learning to respond to the cha a challenge in your life. Um, and so for, for me, the individual, uh, there's a huge risk. And th th uh, when I was young, the risk for me was being uh, feeling alone in a chaotic world. Mm. Um, and when I, when I used to encounter crisis in my life, um, I, I, I just felt that lack of connection to others. And I didn't ask my elders and peers and people in my community who'd already been through those dramas. You know, I believed that I was alone and uh, that I didn't deserve any support. You know, there's, um, there's this old American uh, saying that if the young do not learn that their futures can be positive, they'll burn their village down just to feel the war. <laughs> wow. And so I think a lot of young people, uh, they do feel alone and they need to be alone. They need to find out who they are. And a rebel in them runs off into the chaos of society. Um, and of course, for society, there's a huge risk uh, uh, in general that their young people who are the potential leaders will not step up and learn from those that came before them. Yeah. And in turn, mentor those that came after them. So our cultures become negative and dysfunctional. And we start doing things like divide and ruling or promoting individual extreme wealth or uh, and then believing that the power of intimidation will get us what we want. Mm. Uh, well, we'll at least control the chaos in our cultures. So I mean, there's a I question of continuity there. There's a question of, yeah. of, of, of using all of the, the knowledge that we've gained as a culture. Yeah, and we forget. So like in the 60s when... A whole generation, just before me, I was really disappointed because I just missed it. <laughs> but the whole generation decided that our elders were not useful. And so we just, uh, we just broke through and said, we're not going to listen to you. Mm. And that was hugely liberating. But there was a price we paid. Uh, we, st we stopped respecting our elders. And therefore now we are those elders well, our young people won't respect us either because we told them, yeah, we caused a great revolution. We didn't listen to our, to our elders. Well, this connects that, slightly but, with, with the next question, Ben. I, okay. I hope you don't mind yeah. if I move on. Um, yeah. 
I'm asking everybody this question today, as it's been at the heart of Artful Badger's concept since we started some eight years ago. And I know it's a big part of your research as well, so finally I get to ask some specialists about it. Is there a connection between the rise of rave culture and alcohol and drug abuse and the lack of a rite of passage practice in mainstream Western culture? Are young people seeking to self-initiate, as you put it? Well, yes, <laughs> is the simple answer. I really believe there's a connection between the rise of substance abuse and the lack of rites of passage in our culture. But I also believe that the rave culture has become, well, it's become so popular because of a desire of a more accessible initiation ritual. Because, you know, many rites of passage rituals in indigenous cultures and in the past involve young people going out through an experience where they enter an altered state that disorientates them into feeling alone and scared for their survival. So you could be sitting in the middle of a field 12 hours in the Congo. They sat, Bruce sat there for 12 hours in the sweltering heat with this oil all over it. Mm. And that forces the person, the initiate to to find themselves in a place where they don't know whether they'll survive and that they have to admit that they don't know what to do. And then the older, more experienced people will step in and reassure them that this is okay, this is quite normal, and that there are ways of asking help from the people around them, their community, who can teach them skills and help them to survive. So instead of judging and scolding and punishing the person they listen with a positive attitude they accept their fears as normal and they model how they could become more successful and of course they bless them on that journey and you know if this initiation is not available then many of us self-initiate by by you know we've all done it going adventuring deep into the trance caves of rave culture uh, I went to an amazing place, which was an, uh, a Nazi SS in Berlin uh, airport with like 25 tunnels, all dressed up in wild places. And we all, you know, we'd start taking drugs and we push ourselves through the boundaries of normal experience and reach this state of trance. You know, some lucky people, I mean, I used to learn a lot and get a sense of connection to my, the fellow people raving around me. So this is uh, the big question, Ben, is does this self-initiation work? I mean, could we actually say that this is the modern rite of passage that may have been lacking? I mean, my big well, question is, does it work? And is it is it okay. healthy? You know, is it okay, okay. for us to go All through right. that? It can work in a limited way. The problem is when it doesn't. And, you know, we've all know, we've all been there. We've all been to a rave and stood there feeling stressed, feeling alone, feeling like we, we can't really cope. And the temp problem is the temptation is to go deeper, to take more drugs, to fill that hole, to fill that hole of lack of connection. Um, and then uh, hoping that there's something inside of my deep psyche will kind of rise up and and rescue me and save me and I'll suddenly discover I'm a, an incredible dancer or some beautiful woman will come along and I'll fall in love with her or something like that. Uh, and sometimes that doesn't happen and then we drop. 
when we drop and we get the fear, uh, we tend to then get into trouble. And when we turn round on our other people around us and we don't feel that connection, we get a panic and we can get into trouble and we can start to to freak out. Mm. And then the only people, the only elders around us that can help us get out of that or reassure us that this is quite normal uh, are the police and the medics. What then happens is that we are then con we are convicted and we get into trouble and we're told we are not worthy of the connection to our friends. Yeah. They laugh at us yeah. or we are taken to court and told that we're in trouble because we've been misbehaving. Yeah. And then we are disconnected from our society, from our elders, from our connections. And the biggest thing I want to say is the problem with taking a stimulant the, the, well, the benefit of taking a stimulant is that we get into the trance very quickly, but it wears off and we don't remember. We get a hangover mm. and then we feel worse and we feel the opposite of what the drug gave us. Yeah. So there are many people who feel like there's a hole inside of them that gets filled up. You know, first time you ever take ecstasy, you can love everybody and feel connected to everybody. The next day or the next, the day after the next day, you feel like no one loves you. Yeah, and, and alcohol alcohol works in a similar way, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. so really just to summarize there, Ben, the, the point is, is that what is lacking is the supportive elders who appear and reassure you that your community will help you through this, as opposed to the opposite, which is our elders, the police and the medics turn up and tell us we're no good. Absolutely. And you know, when you go through a ritualistic initiation, you get to that point, that same point, and you get more off your head, out of your head, as it were, and into the body. You get more trance than you would ever on a stimulant. Mm. And this is the in in interesting thing that, you know, in indigenous cultures, they get higher and they have more, more amazing fun uh, when they're sober and they remember the experience. Yeah. And importantly, they get to connect with the people around them in a much, much deeper sense. Mm. This is absolutely brilliant stuff and I'm sure our listeners will identify with these these experiences and it's very interesting to see that related back to ancient indigenous cultures which to this day are still using these same mechanisms to to make sure that people feel connected ben we're going to take a short break for some music don't go away guys we're going to be right back with ben in just a moment get delicious with badger radio so we've got a new album uh from king porter stomp way back just out on the 20th of April. Uh, they played in the early days on the Artful Badger stage at Secret Garden, and now they're just in a league of their own, uh, says the Huffington Post. They're wicked live. So this is King Porter Stomp with Put Down Your Weapons. Put down your weapons.
Shots for those that run, but our blood left on the stone. Still not cold enough for some. It's mother, father, daughter, son. A larger family blood runs. You hear us crying out for peace. It's easy to unite as one becomes just a hippie punk. Words spoken under the tongue. Still afraid the man still bound. Takes your way, so look around and watch that sound. Who's going down and rising up? Who's going down and rising up? Nature rules, fools all bruised in the first touch. So I stand here and say it loud until they stop looking through a lens of all this will never turn around. You hear what the people say because their words are bullets and nothing's gonna get in the way. The people united will never be defeated. That's why you implement divide and rule to the game. You listen to what the people say because el pueblo unido jamás será vencido. Okay, so welcome back, guys. Um, ben, um, the film you've just completed with your wife, Carolyn Carey, is Talking Addiction. And it looks really deeply into the sources of addictive behavior and not just the symptom of addiction itself, um, which uh, I think a lot of uh, addiction programs don't do. You found a fascinatingly high number of addicts had estranged parents or an estranged parent. Yeah. Following this research, what do you think is the connection between the two? Is there a connection between good parenting and rites of passage? Well, it's, you know, we interviewed 50 people, around 50 people, and we'd start the interview saying, you know, how was your childhood? And every single person, bar a couple, said, oh, well, I had a terrible, my dad left me when I was four, or my dad died in front of me when I was four. Or um, I, I, I didn't have a good relationship with my parents. And if you think about it, uh, when you don't have that connection with your parents, there is a huge hole inside of you that feels unwitnessed mm. and needs to be filled. Uh, and as you get older, uh, you then start going down and dancing with your friends and somebody gives you a tab of E and suddenly that hole is filled with this amazing feeling of some, some higher power that is looking after you, that loves you, that you, you feel cared for, you feel held, and, um, and then the next morning the stimulant wears off and you're left with a bigger hole and feeling unhangover and more alone, more in pain. So you think, oh, that's easy. 
just get another one. And mm. Next weekend, I'll I'll fix it and I'll uh, we'll, we'll, I'll go there. And this is the great solution. I mean, I met we met we interviewed one guy who'd taken ecstasy and uh, the and ended up taking nine or ten pills a night, trying to get back to that first feeling, Christ. and it never happened. So if you, ha- if you have a parent that is present, who hell holds you in a space and who lies, sits there with you as a child when you're crying and strokes your head and tells you you're loved, and, and the, then, then there's that, that big tank inside of you that wants, wants to feel like there's someone, some higher power there. Uh, that's going to rescue you and, 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 and keep you safe. Um, you'll have that memory. So if you don't have that, uh, often in AA they say that people only recover when they when they uh, accept that a higher power is the only thing that can rescue them. And what is that higher power? Is it the DJ up there giving you a tune that will help you back into feeling embodied? Or is it, you know, is it just that memory of a, of a parent being there, uh, being there to, to just hold you and make you feel like there's someone who cares? So if you had so, to try and sum up uh, the learnings from, from making this documentary, from making this important film, you know, obviously, presumably just watching these people speak so emotionally, um, mm. these these incredibly honest and deep, you know, I myself uh, have had my run-ins with addiction and found myself in tears just watching the trailer, never mind the full-length film. So I really recommend it to anybody who's struggled with addiction in some form or another. Um, you know, was, was there a particular message that came out that maybe surprised yeah. you, that was a little bit out of what you were looking yeah. for? The message is this, everybody has an addiction and everyone goes through a struggle with some sort of addiction. If you take a rite of passage, if you find some event that can help you, then you will learn from your addiction. And let's face it, those that have recovered from addiction have an incredible amount of wisdom to share with us the uninitiated, the uh, the people who are not willing to admit to our addictions, and we can learn from that. How many of us are addicted to oil, to sugar, to money, to the internet, to Facebook, to all these things which avoid our feelings? Mm. Someone who's been through recovery knows this and can help us. So, so the big message is: don't look at addicts as terrible people. Look at them as our future teachers, and I also they can lead us back. And I also read in a, a separate uh, addiction research thing that, in fact, research had shown, use, you know, working with rats, that in fact it was community. It was the lack of community. It was the lack of community, community around them, connection that made yeah. addiction far more dangerous than anything else, which it, it seems to relate to what you've been speaking about. This connects well, yeah. with the next question about young offenders. Now, I know for quite some time you've worked with young offenders. What's the name of the organization again, Ben? Well, the Band of Brothers. The Band of Brothers. So, you know, if you're yeah. curious about this, listeners, do do go and check this out on online. 
you've been working with young offenders for quite some time. Now, what practices do you get these young offenders to do? And obviously, what are the, res- what are the results? Because I'm just curious, you know, how you engage them. Uh, the band of brothers started who wanted to help each other and they really helped each other and then they decided, well, this is useless unless we help young, young people. So, yes, we, we help them. I can't actually tell you exactly what the rituals that we put them through are because otherwise then people will hear this and they'll expect something when they go on the ritual. But what I can tell you is we take 20 young men, 30 elder men take 20 young men out into the forest for three days and we blindfold them so that they don't know where they are and we take them out of the forest and we put them through a story and which we enact and various exercises that basically help them witness how the old elder men find living as an authentic and successful and masculine man how hard it is mm. now you imagine you're 15 or 18 years old and you watch a 45 year old man pick up a huge stone and throw it in the earth and get into his rage and start telling you how bloody difficult it was to live, to uh, have a child die on him, to get divorced, to become bankrupt, to, to lose a parent. And these, 15, these 16, 17, 18 year olds who, you know, nicking cars and reoffending, they suddenly realize they've had it easy. They suddenly realize that they can trust this man in front of them who is weeping about his life, they can trust him with their problems because he has shared theirs. And one young man said to me, you know, in anger management, they they sit there with a clipboard and they ask me questions. I know nothing about them. I mean, how can I trust them with my shit? Yeah, big time. So um, this is what happens. We, We prove to young men that they can trust the men in their community with their story because the men in their community trust them. Mm. So we earn their trust. And then, of course, you know, they come off this weekend. They feel amazing. It transforms their life. And then they go back to their rubbishy flat with their mates and their mates go what you've been in the in in the in the forest with a bunch of gay boys from brighton (laughs) and they and they start taking the piss out of them so we mentor them for three months so they get a mentor to meet with them once a week and they get to go to thursday meetings so that there's some continuity because you know you could have an amazing weekend and then the next week you kind of think was that just a dream absolutely um and i tell you 50 percent, over 50 percent of these young men uh stop reoffending. Yeah. now you There's can't a theme. say that about prison you can't say that about about any uh, most of the other preventative ways of dealing with young offenders absolutely not it seems to me that there's a theme developing in in you know in this interview ben which is really about trust not only trust in general but really trust of one's community and trust of one's elders and allowing vulnerability it seems to me that perhaps the the lack of rites of passage in our culture has come from this 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 that it's not permitted to be vulnerable. One must be strong. Maybe this is some sort of masculine image of the warrior, okay. you know. L- let me tell you a story. I went to a workshop, which is all about the heart, opening your heart. 
And I went with five men from the Band of Brothers, okay? And there were only four women there. Now, if you ever go to a workshop, you know that there's loads of women and about three men. <laughs> and at the end of this two-day workshop, we've been crying and weeping and saying how our hearts have been broken in love and relationship. At the end of the workshop, I turned around to the women and I said, what do you think of all these weeping men around you, all these vulnerable men? You know, do you think we're, do you think we're girls? Do you think we're sort of weak? And they turned around and said, you are the hottest men we've ever met. Interesting. And I, my jaw dropped open because I realized that women want men's emotions. It's the men that think, oh shit, no, no, I'm not showing my emotions, I'm not showing my feelings. And I think that this is a leftover from the war. Yeah. My first wife's uh, father was a colonel in the army and he never showed his feelings. Because in times of war, if you show your feelings, everybody will just fall apart. Exactly. Yeah. But in times of peace, the only medicine is for men to share their feelings. And, you know, in rites of passage, that's what happens. The elder men take the young men out into the forest and they sit there and they weep. And they say, this is part of being a man. And if you need to let out your feelings, if you need to share how hard it is for you to live life, call us. We are your brothers. Mm. Sit around, uh, around the fire and tell us and we will listen and we will accept and we will model for you how you could be in that situation and we will bless you for being a vulnerable human being. And then they go back to their wives and their girlfriends and they share their feelings without being defensive. And the women, you know, they get juicy. They, they, they love you. <laughs> and they start thinking, great, you know, this is wonderful. My man has feelings. Ben, this brings me on uh, slightly to the last, uh, to my last question. Um, the question is really, is this only useful then for people who have behavioral problems, histories of addiction, histories of trauma? Or do you think we all need it? We definitely all need it. And, you know, my wife and I, Caroline, run a course where we discover how life, my particular life, has actually caused an initiation for me. And I didn't even know it. Yeah. Because I was born, I fell in love, I, I left home, um, I got my first job, uh, I had my first fight, you know, all these things. So what we do in this workshop is uh, we we have we discover we rediscover what life has initiated for me, what my story is, and then we discover the positive things that have happened out of the that terribly frightening experience I had, and we rewrite the story. Ben, thank you so much for this insight into, shall we say, the slightly more troublesome end of this spectrum we've been examining today. Um, do take a close look, guys, at all of the links on um, on the Badger Radio page uh, for this show and follow them. Go in and research and find out if any of these activities, any of these organizations might offer something for you, for your kids, for your friends. Uh, that maybe has been lacking in the past for for whatever reason. Ben, thank you, thank you so much. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, please do go and watch Talking Addiction. It is a fascinating film and an eye opener um, for for anybody who's 
not familiar with these th- these themes. Thank you, Ben. All the best, my friend. You're welcome. Bye bye. Bye bye. More interesting insights there from Ben. And that completes the picture for us and leaves us with all the information we need to make our own mind up about rites of passage in the West. Please write to me at freddy at artfulbadger.org. That's freddy, double D-Y, at artfulbadger.org. If you've got anything you'd like to add to this, to this debate, personally, having wanted to make this show and speak to these specialists for ages, I'm really reassured uh, that there are enough organisations bringing modern rite of passage to young people trying to find their feet in a world overloaded with contradictory information. And I've also been woken up to the idea by Ben of of life itself as a kind of personalised initiation to be paid very close attention to. So thank you to you all for tuning in. We've got loads of new shows from the festivals this summer, so check in with us uh, on Mixcloud uh, once in a while. Uh, thanks also to our fascinating guests today for helping us navigate this, these complex themes in such a short and accessible way. Uh, please check the comments for this show for all the links, dates and references we've talked about today and write to me with any requests or feedback. So we're going to wrap up uh, with a track from one of my personal heroes, Bonobo, from his new album Migration that came out in January. You can catch him in Bristol on the 21st of June uh, or again, like the Turbans, at the Wilderness Festival in early August, which I can't wait for because I haven't seen his proper live band for for almost eight years. This track features Brooklyn-based Moroccan band Inov Gnawa. This is Bambro Koyak.